Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello! Welcome to another episode of All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is the show where we talk about all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. You kind of threw me one That's there. okay. I was just all right, trying I, to make sure you're... I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Paying okay, attention. Girl, okay. Uh, and helping us on the show tonight and every week and every day is Bob Bontrager. The one and only button pusher. Couldn't do it without him. And we are on tape. Yes, because I didn't say welcome to Saturday night. That's right. Yes. But they will be watching this on Saturday night. Yes, yes, yes. they are. So we're on tape because we are at the... Wilberforce Weekend. Woo-hoo! Yes, I couldn't. I called it last year. I think I called it the family reunion. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know I was going to be reunited with so many people. But yes, so we are at Wilberforce Weekend and in orlando florida yes 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 and by this time i should have already given my talk that's right yeah so uh just be praying for us as we um are there and meeting people Mm -hmm. and travel and safety and all of those great things but we have an amazing show to bring to you tonight um we do want to invite you uh, even though we're on tape, make sure you support the show. The best way to support the show is click on the, the thumbs up, give it a like, make sure you're subscribed, share it with a friend. If you don't feel comfortable sharing it, you know, on your social media, that's okay. Just DM a couple of people that you think that tonight's conversation uh, will be helpful to. Or grow in courage and, you know, just try sharing it anyway. <laughs> that's right. There's that too, people. This show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity. You're looking at, she can't believe I just said that. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Um, Theology Mom podcast and Family 210 clothing. That's one of my favorites. Yes. Truth has no color. We uh, you we always get comments on Instagram when you wear that shirt on camera. Yes. Mm-hmm. So people, That's, that's where one. you can get it family210.com. Go check out our designs and help support the ministry. About $10 of each shirt either goes to help support our family or or the ministry, ministry, depending on which one you buy. Okay. So tonight we've got a great conversation. We're going to be talking to our friend, Melissa Doherty. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, yes, yes. Hi, She's guys. Not on. Is she on? There she oh, is. There she is. Here. All right. Sorry, I, I was talking before I unmuted myself. Hello. That's okay. <laughs> so glad to have you here. Now, uh, I've had Melissa on my podcast before. We did a great conversation about uh, the book, The Physics of Heaven. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of a little bit of a different um, stream of a conversation related to uh, Bethel Church and and that sort of thing. But uh, we're going to hear more about Melissa's background tonight uh, coming out of the new age. Yes. So I'm excited to to do that because I think that there might be some aspects of the new age that are coming into the church. And so I can't wait to 
talk to Melissa about that. I sure wish we would close up our doors. My goodness, <laughs> we have all these things creeping in. No, no, who is guard? Yeah. Critical race theory, the yeah. new age. Queer theory, we need, we got to put some stronger guards at the door. You know what? That might be a word some people aren't ready for. Let me stop. <laughs> Hi, Melissa. Hey, girl. Hello. Hey. <laughs> I actually kind of agree with you. It's funny. I think we should have spiritual guards and it's, uh, it, I might be giving away the whole end of my point, but um, a lot of it has to do with biblical illiteracy. I think mm-hmm. within our churches, I think uh, our, our way of spotting these things uh, is been watered down. And I think that's mm-hmm. part of the problem. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Kristen and I were just driving to target. Don't judge us. <laughs> We're driving to Target and um, but did you get a I don't know how they, <laughs> there it is, how, but how that, how this came up and you're like, you asked the question of like, I wonder how we got here. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, well, I think part of it has to do with, with pastors and not understanding some things. Oh, oh we were talking about um, like Genesis and the thread of like Genesis throughout the the whole Bible, like the seed of the woman and watching for the seed of the woman um, throughout, the whole, throughout the whole like Bible. Redemption mm-hmm. story. Yeah. yeah. And you, and you, and I said, I had never heard that until a couple of years ago when I heard you say it. And I was just like on the edge of my seat and um you know, she asked, well, I wonder how it's not in more churches. I wonder how people don't know this or hear this. Mm. And I said, I think it's because pastors don't actually put it all the way together. Some pastors, not all pastors, we do love and support pastors, but there are a number of pastors too, who don't um, either one go to seminary or two aren't understanding, like I would say, that thread of redemption all the way through or other, you know, important aspects of scripture. And Mm. so when you're, when you, Melissa said about biblical literacy and things like that, I think that's all tied together, you know, pastoral care. And I mean, how are pastors caring for their own understanding of the word in like Mm. seminary and being around people who are challenging some of their biblical thoughts and knowledge Um, and then discipleship. Mm-hmm. and you know understanding biblical literacy what are you looking at me like that for i'm just letting <laughs> you listening. do your thing yeah no i th- i think it's yeah it, i didn't know if i was going too far says no it's just like you were the one that said let's keep it short so uh all right well i want to start because you hear might- that sound that's the bus you backing up over me <laughs> <laughs> all right so there might be 10 people watching right now who don't know who melissa is because she's got a channel that's like 45 times bigger than ours how can you so, not know who melissa is i know so let's just i don't get how people don't know how y'all are i'm gonna be sharing this everywhere you guys have some great content for well, sure yeah we work hard at Solid. that yeah. yeah. So maybe Melissa, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you became interested in the new age, since that's kind of our focus tonight. Your, your, your story has so many different seasons and yeah. facets to it, but we're kind of focusing on, you know, the new age part of it. So maybe tell us a little bit about you and, yeah. and how you got involved with the new age. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, the Cliff's Notes version. Um, yeah. I grew up, I grew up in a house where spiritual things were kind of an intoxicating thing. I was very interested in spiritual things since I was little, always believed in God. 
And uh, I became a Christian at 16. Whole story behind that. Really cool story. Uh, but the bedrock of my problem was that I was basically an apologist at the get-go. I had questions. I, I wanted to have tough conversations, philosophical, like, uh, philosophical things. Um, I needed discipleship. I needed apologetics. I needed so many things that I didn't get. Uh, I didn't understand my Bible. Some people don't understand that, but I didn't. Uh, and I think a lot of people read the Bible. It's a 2000 year old Jewish history book. And I needed some context for what I was reading. Didn't have that. I'm 16 years old. So I struggled a little bit, right. Uh, with my growth, happiest time of my life though. Still looking back that summer after I became a Christian, the best summer of my whole life. Um, and so time goes on and eventually I'm still hungry to want to know these things. Very, very hungry. And I had new age books on my shelf that this is important that I did not know were new age. I had, I didn't know that there was a word new age, right? There wasn't a label for this stuff until after I left. Um, and a lot of things in the new age that I was into would be like, a, for example, you're not supposed to label things, right? Things, uh, uh, I think it was a Eckhart Tolle, somebody I was really into, uh, put a, to put a label on something is to kind of limit it. Right now to be specific, I was more into new thought than new age. And this is, they're, um, they're basically the same thing. Cause at the core, it teaches that you're divine, but new thought goes over here into more of like the metaphysical mystical, what I would consider really cool spiritual stuff, you know, um, like clairvoyance. Or uh, things like uh, manifestation, visualization, uh, your, your words having power. Faith was looked at as a type of power, right? So this is important, though, because what I was reading, they quoted scripture. They talked about Jesus. Uh, they talked about the disciples. They talked about Christianese things in this really ultra-spiritual type of way. And there was a metaphysical view on scripture it just seemed like what I believed in was so small compared to what they were saying. And I'm like, wow, this is the real deal. Um, really spiritual people will understand this. And it was like a secret kind of knowledge thing. You know, it, it made me feel very important and very spiritual. So that stuff mixed into my Christianity in the beginning, which is really important because I understood that to be Christian. I had no way to distinguish the two. Uh, mainly because I did not read my Bible. I did not study it. Um, and I went to church and this is really interesting. I went to a big church for years, believing this stuff. I didn't know that it was unchristian at all. Uh, now I was really into the law of attraction. Uh, that was really big. This, the book, the secret made that really, uh, really popular a few years ago. I was into all that kind of stuff. I loved it. Um, uh, I wanted to invoke a spirit guide. Uh, I believed that crystals had powers. I believed that my thoughts and my words had power and I could manifest uh, health and wealth with my thoughts and feelings, things like that. That's the stuff I was into, uh, trances, meditation, uh, psychic abilities, drawing, uh, dead people to you. As far as like hearing from them, I wouldn't do that, but I didn't have a problem at all with, with psychics and it, everything changed when I had my first child and as it does with children. And I wanted to research all these other religions because I knew at some point she would be asking me these questions. Long story short, two Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door and totally put a rock in my shoe, but not in the way you would think because uh, 
it's not, it wasn't their religion or anything. It was researching their religion while simultaneously learning the Bible, because if what they believe is wrong and the Bible is true, then that means what I believe is wrong because the Bible is true, you know? So it was a very interesting thing that happened. And I actually got into counter cult ministry before I even did anything with the new age. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. How could I have not known? How could I, I went to small groups at my church. You know what I mean? I was involved with my church, believing these things and never realizing that it was unbiblical. I bought, I thought that people that were against these types of things were judgmental, close-minded. And this is really interesting. I didn't realize how progressive I was until I met Elisa, Elisa Childers, our friend. And I, she, I didn't realize that there was a word for those things. I was girl very- between Elisa and Krista. Okay. Nobody had no fun. <laughs> we, girl. I'm like, I, I, I remember being at Elisa's house and talking about that book, the shack. Oh yes. As soon yeah. as I get home now, between Elisa and Krista, I got to throw my shack book away. <laughs> I, Hey, nobody had nothing nice these days. <laughs> but you see but what Lisa I mean? Could have been it's like progressives together. I felt no, like nobody you and Elisa would have threw a wrench in our plan. <laughs> but I think you hit on a really good point that you know I sat up in in Bible studies too on multiple continents. Okay? You were a missionary, and, and no one said you shouldn't be reading this. Many of my Christian friends had read The Shack. Like we had read it together, like, you know, or seen the movie or, and I, I did both. You know, it, it, I think that you hit on something really important that if if small groups are just groups that are, you know, self-contained, there's no one checking in on them. You don't have a lot of information about your leaders and things like that. It's an encouragement group. Doesn't, go ahead, say it again. It's an encouragement group. Yes, it's if it's just an encouragement group, group or some kind of self-help group, then no, you're not going to get the the deep theological like foundation that we really need. Yeah. The problem is some of it, this is my problem. Um, some people don't want to hear it. I've realized where, have you ever seen the Pilgrim's Progress, the, the animated version of that movie? She probably doesn't I've know never heard that, of this. She probably the Pilgrim's Progress is a classic Christian book. One of the probably the most uh, popular, like as far as distribution book, Christian book that's ever been written by uh, Paul. Yeah, no, John. I always want to say Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan. Uh, <laughs> they mix them up. And uh, he was uh, in, I believe it was in the 1600s. I could be wrong. Maybe it was a little earlier, but anyway, he was put in prison for his faith. And in prison, he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, they have a animated version that we watch every year on Easter. So it's kind of fresh in my head. And there's a, uh, can't remember the name of this character, but uh, every character has a name that's kind of associated to their personality and they're supposed to represent that thing. So uh, like you have evangelist, you have hope, hopeful, you have all these other people, you know, Uh, I wish I could remember the name of this character, but I can't, but in this movie, he Christian is trying to tell him there. He's trying to warn the people. Christian's the main character, by the way. He's trying to tell them, "Yeah, come with me, come with me." And don't you want to know? Don't you want to know these things? He's like, "Frankly, no, I don't want to know, and I don't care." You know, and that's kind of the point of his character is that I, I don't want to see is what he said. I don't want to see. I, I see, and I don't want to see. Like it was a choice, and I think that a lot of times. 
there's what I would do is that I would label uh, Christians that would think only inside the Bible box, so to speak, as unintellectual. Um, and they were very close minded, narrow minded. Like I was very progressive. So I was pro abortion. I was pro um, very, very uh, liberal, very liberal in my political stance and that kind of thing, even though I wasn't like an activist or anything. Um, I was a feminist, you know, like all these things uh, that I saw just completely parallel to progressive beliefs too. Like the Bible was not seen as the authoritative last stop. No, 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 no. Like there's all these other spiritual leaders and teachers that God is using to speak to us. Why are you going to limit yourself to that book? There's mistakes in it anyway. Um, just very parallel things that I would find in common with a lot of progressive Christians that want to hold on to God, but don't want to hold on to Orthodox historical Christian beliefs. It was very interesting how that happened. Well, let me ask you this because, um, you know, the term new age, and I think you sort of touched on this Mm -hmm. is a very broad term. Like a lot of things can float under that umbrella and it can also be a little bit of mixing and matching of Mm -hmm. new age ideas plus something else, Hmm. you know? And like I was watching a video just yesterday of a guy who was being interviewed on another podcast he was a former um, shaman, an Indian mm-hmm. shaman, mm-hmm. and but he got into that through the New Age. But he grew up in a charismatic church, so he he kind of told himself, "Well, I'm just still exploring God. I'm just yes. doing it these other ways." Yeah. And so he got into kind of through the through the New Age became a tunnel for him back into his his. Um, Native American roots into shamanism, but here he was a Pentecostal preacher's son, you know, who was interested in spiritual things. So I'm wondering, like, maybe we can understand or get kind of more of an understanding of what is the new age and what attracts people into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the new age is basically what this is, is that it is an umbrella term for uh, things like Gnosticism, Paganism, Pantheism, Panentheism, which are two different things, Buddhism, Hinduism, reincarnation, psychic mediums, tarot card readers, universal energies, reincarnation, and, and much more. And in my case, again, I was more into new thought. So like metaphysical energies, um, thoughts becoming things, your words having power manifesting through those sorts of avenues. Um, and the new thought is, again, very similar. But it's like pinning down a cloud. That's exactly how I try to explain defining the new age because it's a salad bar belief system. You are picking and choosing. One, sal- one person's salad is going to look different than the other person's, right? I don't like croutons. I don't, you know, who puts sunflower seeds on their salad? Like spiritually speaking, it's like making your own spiritual salad bar. You, you take what you want and you leave out what you don't like. Most people in the new age don't believe in the tough stuff, right? They don't believe in hell. They don't believe in a God of wrath at all. Um, They don't like the whole justice thing, but they don't realize the consequence for taking those things off their plate, right? Like they don't realize that uh, a lot of the things about who makes a, what makes a perfect God, uh, you have to have these things to have uh, the whole plate, so to speak. So that's what I call it. It mixes truth with untruth. And I think that's one of the big reasons why a lot of people have a lot of issues trying to discern 
Uh, and that's what happened to me is I, oh, well, they're talking about Jesus though. They're talking about faith. They're talking about the Holy spirit, God, the father. Uh, yeah, of course this is Christian and no, it was not because you're taking Christian terminologies and you're mixing them with this, uh, this like trendy spirituality. Um, really ultimately it's the serpent's lie. It literally is the oldest lie in the book. It's the oldest religion in the world. If people are talking about, oh, Hinduism is more authentic than Christianity because it's old. And I'm like, okay, well, if you want to go back to what's true because it's old, literally, we can go back to the garden when it comes to this kind of stuff, because uh, it's the religion of self. It's the religion. You can be your own God, right? Uh, the religion of self, but the gospel says to die to self. It's antithetical to the gospel, completely antithetical. And you asked a very good question. What makes this uh, alluring to people? Oh man, what about it doesn't, right? It's, it's, it's all about you. It's all about how you feel. Your feelings are your mode of discernment. If you feel, if you are taught that you are godlike, that you are divine, and by the way, Jesus taught this as well, then that means that you have this, this access to this power, this universal power, and it makes you feel really good about yourself. It makes you feel very powerful and it helps you think that you have, um, this, this like, it's almost like, it's really kind of like a pride, but you don't think of it like that in, in the moment. You honestly think that you are like the world literally revolves around you. In fact, there's a quote, um, in, I think it's, the second book of the secret. Cause I loved everything about the secret, uh, because I taught these metaphysical beliefs, uh, but the world, the, the oceans ebb and flow for you is one of the, one of the sayings, the sun rises and falls for you. Everything that exists exists for you. And that's really what it is, is that it, it gets this, um, this, uh, inner selfish need met. Um, but you don't think of it as selfishness at the time. And that's really the bait and switch with it. So um, it's, it's pleasing and good to the eyes. Why not reach out and grab it and take a bite? Because that means that you are your own sovereign now. And I think that that is the bedrock allure of this kind of belief. I, I have a kind of a little theory about that. that yeah. There are some people that I think God has kind of pre-programmed, you know, they're just super analytical Mm. And, you know, they, 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 they dwell in the realm of facts and, and that sort of thing. And then there's other people that I think God has, has designed, you know, that are just more spiritually oriented and supernaturally oriented. And then there's, there's kind of odd ducks, I think, like me and you, Melissa and, and Monique, that like are like this kind of hybrid of we really like facts, yeah. evidence, data, but we also um, appreciate the supernatural. Yeah, appreciate the yeah. supernatural mm -hmm. is a good way of saying it. That's and um, but what happens in a in a church, you know, where you have a child growing up who has that supernatural orientation, mm. but it's not properly discipled. I think that that's the kind of child that becomes ripe for the new age. Yeah. And again, this is a theory. This is, oh, this yeah. is an opinion. Yeah. This is not a word from the Lord. It's not a Bible verse. It's an observation and opinion. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about that. hundred percent have thoughts about that. Yes. Um, this is what happened to my mother. Um, 
when you go to a church, okay, so she grew up in a Presbyterian Lutheran-ish type environment. Loved it. She loved church. She loves God. She loves Jesus. But ever since she was small, she had things happen to her that she could not explain. And I won't get into like great deal detail about what those things were, but she had things that she could not explain spiritually auras, this thing visiting her. Um, oh gosh, so many things. And here's the thing. And here's the problem. And this is kind of where I'm going to, um, I don't know, like call out in a way, certain things that we do in churches is that if she were to go and, and talk to a pastor about this, one of the things that they immediately go to is like, oh, that's, that's demonic. Stay away. Every that's demonic, but she doesn't. So therefore she has no frame of reference for what's happening to her. And she's afraid because she thinks what's happening to her is demonic. And I'm going to put this out there. Sometimes it is. (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes, sometimes that's true. Yeah. But however, let's, that's just my mom's experience and my opinion in my, um, I mean, again, this is her thing. This is her business. But in my opinion, after uh, growing up with her and, and all the experiences that we've had a hundred percent believe that a lot of them were demonic. However, what do you do whenever you have a child that's, and, and it could be young, could be even a teenager where they're like what you said, Krista, they are more right. And I know exactly what you mean by this, where, um, again, I'm going to bring up my, my bestie here. She's kind of more like that. She's a more sensitive, right? Just, oh man, she's a prayer warrior. She understands things about prayer that I'm like, teach me, (laughs) you know, um, there's a, there's a whole mindset with them where, uh, there's a spiritual warfare element to this. They see prayer as power. They see faith as something that I, I I really want to learn from. Right. And these, these kids sometimes can have things that happen to them that are completely biblical right? Like what if you have a dream, um, that you cannot explain, but there's a very spiritual, intense, obvious thing with this dream. And you go to your pastor and he's like, that's demonic. And I'm like, what? hold the phone. Hold on a second. I think that there's questions we need to ask. You know, um, I think that what you said is correct, where a lot of people, man, they, everything's that they over-spiritualize everything. And I can, I believe that that can lead to some pretty heartbreaking conclusions because people think they've heard from God, um, when it was just a really subjective dream, or maybe it was them that came up with it and they follow through with what they think God said. Yes. And it's a shipwreck. Yes. Um, yeah. And it derails, like, it's very difficult, but other times I think that there's wisdom in, in, in looking at that and thinking, God, is that from you? You know what? I need some discernment with this, you know, and you mix the two together, completely biblical. So I think these are different buckets that we can put things in and easily discern. Um, but I think what they need is an outlet where you're not going to this crazy maniac, hyper charismatic environment where everything has a spiritual label label, but you're also not going to a church. That's basically going to tell you that, Hey, what you're experiencing is demonic. I think that's strange. I just can't get on board with that. And I don't know, even as an ex new ager, um, there's been really like wise people much smarter than me that are charismatic and have taught me so much about what I call the pendulum problem. I think we need to avoid extremes. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. That's been my experience too. And, and just 
like I think about that child, like you growing up, mm-hmm. you know, that you were interested in spiritual things that that just made you ripe for the new age. Mm-hmm. And if we don't oh, have yes, proper it, discipleship, yeah. you know, or a space of like helping the child process mm-hmm. their spiritual experiences when they have dreams or they think they see shadow people or they have, um, you know, it, it, even warning children about not experimenting with, don't play with Ouija boards. Yeah. Don't, yeah. yeah. But we don't want to have these conversations because it's just so labeled, you know, in these extremes. So anyways, that's that's good. I know Monique has I a I think they get labeled in the extremes. And then, you know, even as adults, we don't know what to do because who do we, who do we talk to so that we can talk to our children? Yeah. You know what I mean? And we don't want to have these very big conversations with kids because that can scare them. And then, you know, and I'm already scared and I'm the adult. So then what? Um But, you know, there was something that you said a while back about um, being in this vein of like um, new age thought or new thought. thought. And um, that part of that was about like manifesting words um, or even um, that things become all about me. And so that made me think about the word of faith movement. And (laughs) I I was wondering, because I, I, I can like think of worship songs right now where everything is about me. Like you did this just for me. Like there's a song that's called just for me. <laughs> and it's like about, an, um, about all the things that the Lord did just for me. Um, you know, you died just for me, you rose just for me or manifesting my words and speaking something that is not into be or into being. Um, and well, so that kind of gets us right into, you know, the next issue of, exploring where does Melissa see new age ideas in the church? Yeah, that's kind of, great that's what I'm, what I'm wondering is like, how, like, is this something that we should be weary of and consider, you know, that is maybe a tentacle of the new age in, in a church. It might not be the whole octopus, but it could be like the tip of a tentacle. How do you see it happening in the church? Yeah. So here's my pickle with, with that, with the whole new age in the church and stuff is that, and in fact, I actually, I read this book and research it's out of print. Um, it's one of the best books though. Um, the word of faith controversy, right. Understanding the health and wealth gospel by Dr. Bowman, Robert Bowman. Oh, Rob Bowman. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, I, I actually, I was like, man, I need a hard copy of this book. And, uh, I researched this book. I've been researching this movement. I've been really trying to understand. He's really fair, by the way, he is, very Rob's a very good oh, scholar. I've known Rob yes. for about 20 years. He's a very good scholar. He does not go below the belt. It's very respectful. It's a very honest. And as far as I could tell, the most unbiased I could ever get my hands on when it came to this. And so um basically, so oh man, there's so many things to unpack with this because this is what I saw. I saw I was in the new thought again, didn't know practicing these things, right. Trying to manifest. And I found frustration. So like people that were really spiritual, right. Uh, it's like, they had a lot of things just naturally happen. I did not feel that way at all. I wanted those things. I was obsessed with the supernatural. Like I wanted to invoke these things. Cause it gave me a really, uh, good spiritual rush. Like it gave me a spiritual high and I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. And it does. It makes you feel very important. So all the things that I practiced as far as, uh, health, wealth, 
anything that you would want. Everything about your life was supposed to be in abundance. God didn't, God, you know, who in my view, cause it's my salad bar, he was personal and he wanted me to be like a little God here on earth to have what he had to, to prosper the way he wants us to prosper. Um, because heaven is supposed to be here. The kingdom is within. I knew all of that. All right. Before I ever heard that from prosperity preachers. And I'm like, what is the connection here? How did this happen? And if we're going to really go back into it, a lot of the new thought teachings um, that I believed and taught were really siphoned into the prosperity realm. And you throw out a scripture here and there. And you, and the little God teaching is, is if, if I'm going to name names here, Kenneth Copeland, uh, Hagen, and who's the third one? I think even Benny Hinn. Um, all three of them are, oh, and Creflo Dollar. There's a lot of the prosperity preachers, right? Um, the little God doctrine is the bedrock for why they believe that we can manifest is because we are made in as, as gods. Um, it's different, by the way, this is very important. It is different than the new thought idea because the new thought, this is a whole other thing, but the new thought idea of being godlike um, can kind of distinguish itself from, uh, you know, God, the father creating us like in a Christian way, it uses Christian use terms, but there's differences there. Um, sorry if that confused anyone, but I think that's important to say. Um, but so you're taking these teachings that look very new thought in nature and, uh, are, are basically created in that bucket. Right. And then you have Christians over here who want that. Right. And I have a theory um, about why that is when, when you're wanting a revival, when you're wanting healing, right. And Kenneth Hagan is on record saying this, that, well, they're getting it. Why can't we, they're, they're getting results from this. Hmm. Maybe there's something here that we're not seeing. We need to go over here and, and, and see what's over here. And, uh, Bethel, we talked about Bethel before, uh, they have an entire apologetic book, physics of heaven about why they need to go into the new age and redeem it for the church, because we want our revival. We're not seeing it. Maybe they have it. Maybe they have a secret. We don't know about, we need this. That's kind of my, um, theory about why people would even go there is because I think they're desperate for their miracle. I think they're desperate for their healing. I think they're desperate for their spiritual experience. And for a lot of people, um, this is kind of sad, but for a lot of people, if they don't feel those things, if they don't get those things, that's their litmus test for how much God loves them. If they don't have a, a, a feeling it's more than feelings. It sounds so cheap to put it that way, but if they don't have that, um, closeness that they feel with God through some of these means, man, I'm doing something to make God upset. What am I doing, um, to take that away? And so I think there's that unhealthy aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is they really do believe that they are like divine in a way uh, where uh, because God did this and we're made in God's image, we should be able to speak things into existence the same way he did. Mm -hmm. That's the thought process behind it. And they take little scriptures. Uh, Ma uh, Mark 16 is one of them. Matthew seven, ask, believe, receive, which is interestingly the scripture used for the law of attraction. They use that scripture, um, ask, believe, and receive for manifestation um, in, their, uh, in, in their whole formula for how to manifest things. 
the parallels are undeniable. They're demonstrably shown to be true. I just think the reason why a lot of um, hyper charismatic Pentecostal type uh, churches have gone there is because they want experience. They want those things and they feel like uh, it's nece- it can be uh, achieved if they do these things. So I think it's a mix of all of those things. Did I answer those questions, Monique? Did I answer all of that correctly? <laughs> kind of yeah, went on. That, it was a long answer, yeah. but yeah. No, go ahead. Where are you going to? I was just going to say, so it sounds like what if I hear what you're saying is, yeah, there are parallels between aspects of the word of faith movement and new thought, new age yeah. kind of um, manifesting, naming, and and this sort of thing that, yeah, those, those, those parallels can be legitimate. Yet they're distinctly different at the same time. Yeah. Yes. And that's what makes it confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and again, he goes into so much detail in this book. It's a uh, exhaustive detail. And uh, the ideas, where it came from, how did it get there? Uh, his arguments for where it came from, things like that, I think are very fair. Uh, but yeah, I think that a lot of people will see those parallels and automatically know, okay, if I were just to read the Bible by itself, right? If I were just to read scripture, would I come out with this belief? Probably not. Hmm. So where does it come from? It has to be something where you have leaders in the church or something where you have this as your um, foundation, but I'm not gonna completely rely on that because God works outside of that. And I think that has made a very interesting culture of Christianity that we're seeing right now. And it didn't always used to be this way. In fact, I, uh, I would like to go and research this at some point in church history. Uh, there used to be a point where when Christianity started, uh, when, when Jesus, when the church started, it exploded. And there were so many things that happened be- as a process after Christianity, uh, schools, certain schools, um, helping the needy, uh, think like universities, philosophical hospitals. Things, yeah. hospitals yes. Yeah. And there was this, this really robust intellect with Christianity for hundreds, hundreds of years. And in the last like two to, I don't know, maybe 200 years or so, maybe something has shifted where, and I think a lot of it had to do with the age of enlightenment. You know, you had the time when people were, um, really into these metaphysical type of beliefs. And I think there was a curiosity there where it was very alluring because of the experiential type of beliefs you would get and, or uh, results that you would get. And so I think that, but, but, and this is important, the, one of the catalyst teachings in these teachings in the church, right? Not necessarily with a new thought, but in the teachings is you must turn off your brain. Don't think about it too much. If you're thinking about it too much, the spirit cannot um, work and manifest itself. And it's this is kind of Gnostic-ishy, but again, I can't call it Gnostic. It's strange. It picks uh, from it where the body, including the brain, uh, can actually uh, prohibit you from having a spiritual encounter. So what is the real self? It's your spirit. And when you're in the spirit, that is where you want to be, but your brain gets in the way, go Mm -hmm. away brain. We want this. And that's really how, um, a lot of people have come to adopt this, um, 
get out of your mind. Don't think about it too much. Um, uh, when it comes to having these types of spiritual experiences within the church. Man. Ooh. Yeah. It's a lot. Mm. To unpack. I mean, like, I'm thinking back to my like Pentecostal days, which wasn't that long ago. Um, like even, even with the whole, like, well, I feel like I'm about to lay all my cards on the table. Y'all don't judge me. Or if you, <laughs> you at least judge rightly, I'm not saying don't judge me. Um, you know, thinking back to, a, a very recent um, past, you know, the idea of speaking in tongues and like that you don't, you have to shut off your mind in order to be able to, mm-hmm. to like have the spirit flow through you. I heard that teaching at a church. Um, and so, yeah, this idea that we are spirit beings, but sometimes your mind gets in the way. Interesting, you know, yeah. which is to me very different than pray about something, take this to the Lord in prayer, and don't sit in fear, worry, and anxiety. Yeah, you know, that's very different than your mind is getting in the way because you are like this spirit being. In order to allow the spirit to flow through you, you have to get out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, And what it really reminded me of, and I want to be very careful with this, um, because my whole ministry started with counter-cult ministries, with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, which honestly, on God's part, was brilliant. Uh, I mean, I learned a lot how to treat people, to have empathy for these people, like they're deceived and you get a heart for them, that it's like you don't see them as just this, you know, uh, like they're not trying to be deceived, right? Yes, but a lot of it is that you have to real like, I had to look into like the psychology of cults and I thought it was interesting. Every single cult has a way. And again, I want to be careful because I'm not calling it a cult, but this parallel I always found very interesting is that you have to, you have to sacrifice your brain in order to be, um, in these religions, because if you believe it's, it's the truth, well, then if you're thinking about it too much, then that's Satan. That is Satan trying to get you away from the truth. And in this case, Jehovah's witnesses, mm-hmm. let's say. Satan is trying to get you to think too much, to doubt your, your place in this organization. You don't, they call it thought stopping cliches, right? Where if you think about something negative, you need to stop that thought. And you're taught through fear to stop thinking that so that you can get back on the right path. The parallel was very interesting to me in that aspect where I'm like, well, are you not allowed to think about, um, not getting your healing? Are you able to think about, maybe the, the aspect that, is it possible that, is it God's will for this? That no, no, you can't. Right. And some of those are more extreme than others. And I think of, uh, Chuck Smith, Chuck Smith, uh, you know, associated with Calvary. Uh, he always used to say that, and a lot of, a lot of this has to do with purging poison in the church, right? Like spiritual poison. And he gives the analogy of a healthy body that's what we do, we do naturally is we purge poison. We do this all the time. We do this every day. And, uh, whenever we start tolerating poison in our body, we start to die. And he parallels this to the church, um, in Ephesians, actually, I think it's a commentary for Ephesians that he's saying, once we start do, uh, tolerating spiritual poison, we will slowly die. Like we need to purge poison. So uh, everything that I'm saying, and I'm, uh, that we're talking about, I hope everybody understands it's about purging poison from, from the body of Christ. You know, we want to make sure that we're doing that 
at least me, I want to make sure I'm, I'm doing that with care, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in that sense, but I want everybody to be aware that there are parallels here that are very concerning. So when we think about, um, new age ideas, concepts, practices coming into some of our Christian churches, um, you know, we talked a little bit about some ideas of word faith. I'm wondering about also this manifesting issue, if that also relates to, you know, I've been around some charismatics that desperately want healing and they'll Mm -hmm. say things like, well, I can't talk as if I'm not healed. I have to talk as if um, the healing is sure and I'm, I'm causing it to manifest in my life. Is that kind of like the secret is, is oh that- yes okay oh absolutely um i think that there's of course we could get into the nitty-gritty of the differences but yeah absolutely i again i heard all of that in the new age like in the new thought realm way before i ever knew that was ever taught i would say in 2017 i think as early as that 2017 was when i started realizing what prosperity preaching even was like, I knew that it was out there. Right. But I thought it was all about money, but the doctrines were very interesting to me The the NAR, uh, prosperity preaching, um, hyper charismatic stuff, all of that. I was in a different frame of mind until that kind of fell on my plate. And I'm like, Oh, I should probably start looking into this. Um, but yes, definitely. I remember there would be times uh, Eckhart Tolle was somebody I was really into. Not a lot of people know his name, but, uh, in the Christian world, but he is pretty big in these other, uh, spiritual realms like Deepak Chopra, uh, is, you know, associated with him, Wayne Dyer, Oprah, he's been on Oprah and Oprah, he had a big impact on Oprah. Well, one of the things that he talks about in his book is labeled this called living in the now. And this is interesting because, You have to believe with your mind energetically and literally that you have it now, whatever it is, it could be anything you want as far as a a spouse, a healing money, whatever it is, you have to live as if that is real. And the law of attraction would say what you do here will be mirrored over here. So if you, in other words, if, if I'm living as if I have a spouse, right? Say I really want a mate, say I want a, a, a husband or whatever it is, I have to live as if I had it. And then the universe would be like, oh, I must give her that because this is what she's uh, putting out there, right? This is how she's living. And according to the law of attraction, she must receive this back. And that's the whole idea. You live as if you had it. You do not speak as if you don't, because that has power that has manifested power. And the parallel is uncanny whenever it comes to, especially, and I feel so sorry for people that struggle with, with health defects that again, my best friend, she has, um, she's chronically ill. She's chronically ill and she's my age. And it's just the things that she has to deal with breaks my heart. And, um, the fact that people are, have a very difficult idea or a time understanding how could God possibly allow healing and the idea or, uh, uh, allow sickness because the idea and you, uh, Krista, before we got on, 
you mentioned an over-realized eschatology that is so dead on because um, the idea is if it's in heaven, it -hmm. should be on earth. And Bill Johnson himself actually has a book by this exact title, um, When Heaven Invades Earth. Because the idea is that um, if if we have it here, well, it's not in heaven. The kingdom is here. We shouldn't have sickness or or poverty or or even death. You know, like if we're going to carry that out, we shouldn't have these negative things. So if we want that, we need to have the faith, which is important because faith is power. Um, it's 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 a very different definition in 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 the Bible, but a faith the faith is a moving power that causes things in the world to, to adjust based on your faith to what you're trying to man. We wouldn't call it manifest, but that's basically what it is, what you're trying to obtain and get from the father, because the father only gives us good things. He wants us to have these things. If you have the faith, you will receive it. So the, the parallels are absolutely uncanny for sure. Yeah. And it can be damaging to people. I have a student who's taken a number of, uh, theology classes with me and she's been sick Mm. for I think she told me like 28 years with a a, like a chronic illness and she was but she was in word of faith churches Mm. and so the constant um message to her was well you're not you're not you don't have enough faith. You're not manifesting it adequately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was emotionally damaging yes. to her Yes, and because of, you know, ministries like yours and Elisa Childers and, and ours, she's come out of that. And now she's trying to rebuild her faith um, really awesome. through the Bible. But she said, when we were on the call recently, she said, you're the first person that's ever told me that that's not a biblical idea. Wow. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that's, that nobody has, has, you know, given you a correction about that, but there was a level of freedom in that for her, that her sicknesses weren't all her fault or her lack of healing wasn't all her fault. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that this, this type of messaging, and I think we have to be clear that what we're saying is Yes, you can cherry pick a few verses here and there and, you know, build this kind of framework, you know, like they always pick the one proverb about speaking, um, it escapes me right now, but there's what you're talking about, though, it's some proverb about like, you know, speaking something into existence and, and, you know, mm -hmm. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's slipping my mind though, but yeah. Yeah, but they, you know, there's, there's verses, ask, seek, knock, you know, they're, yeah. they're, the kingdom of God is within you. Like um, Abraham lived as if these things were, and then they came to be, you know, that you can go through the Bible and cherry pick those things, but that's why people like Melissa and, and me and Monique and, and Elisa Childers, we're all encouraging people. No, you got to read the whole Bible. Yeah. You got to get the whole story. You got to get all the context Yes, because what we don't want to do is cherry pick things and then fall into an error. And then we just end up kind of emulating the world. Um, so maybe you could give us a couple more brief examples of, of things that you might see that are kind of, you think, oh, there's seems to be a connection here to, to new age ideas and practices. Yeah, for sure. So there's a, there's a few examples. And again, 
this isn't in every church, but this isn't specific in just the hypercharismatic community, by the way. I think that there's like mysticism when it comes to certain things with mysticism. I have a real bone to pick, right? And uh, I think that they're, you know, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. But the other aspect of it that I see, and this is more cultural, and is the adoption of this relativistic type belief where, and this might be where uh, a lot of progressive Christianity might come into play as well, but you have universalism, right? So people who don't want to believe in hell, they don't want to believe that there's like this God of wrath and justice, which ultimately what a lot of people end up doing is defaulting to like religious pluralism. And it's like a trickle down effect, right? So you start thinking, okay, and, and relativism, by the way, for those that may, maybe you don't uh, recognize what that means, it's where truth is not absolute, it's subjective. It means that your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and what I choose to believe is fine because that's what you choose to believe and this works for me. Um, that is basically the new age. Like you're picking and choosing what you wanna believe and what's true is in question. This is very important because, uh, and a lot of this has to do with biblical illiteracy. If you don't know what Orthodox historical Christianity even teaches, if you don't even know the core doctrines, you are so susceptible to something like religious pluralism in universalism. It just kind of goes with it. And a lot of times people don't want to be seen as hated or bigoted or to be looked at in those kinds of ways. And so what we do is we syncretize, right? We, we take our Christianity and we, um, uh, we basically compromise it to fit in with the culture. And this is kind of where people toe the line between progressive Christianity and new age, because you, you, in my opinion, anyway, at least in, in the context in which I'm speaking right now, where people can kind of have both of those things. So um, universalism is where everybody eventually is reconciled to God in some way. And, uh, somehow there's Christian universalism, which is different than say, uh, like Eastern universalism, but overall, basically at the end, we're all reconciled back to God or there's no belief in hell. I've talked to Christians even, uh, recently, right. That have a lot of issues believing these core doctrines of Christianity. And I'm like, but you come to church every week. Like, how is this happening? Um, so I think a lot of that um, has come into the church as well, where we just, we, we want to grip onto this because it's relieving. Like we have a dissonance there where how could anybody, how can I go against this when it doesn't feel right? So therefore I'm going to default to this because I don't want to offend anybody. So I see that kind of stuff happening more and more, especially as the cultural stuff takes over, which I'm sure you guys have seen as well. Yeah. Yeah. That whole conversation about offense. Yeah. The road <laughs> to hell, I, I do that. because the road to hell is mine with good intentions. Amen. I believe that was Lauren Hill who said that now, <laughs> and it was probably said by somebody else way before her, but I think you're onto something with this idea of not offending. And, but what do we allow when we don't offend exactly. or, or yes. what do we, when we get so caught up 
and the potential of someone else's emotions. Mm -hmm. We have no guarantee that this person is going to be offended. We're just caught up in the potential of this person's emotions that we allow that to withhold us from speaking biblical truth, not my truth, not my opinion, but we, we allow that fear to keep us from speaking the scriptural truth to Mm -hmm. someone. And you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned something that brought up a really good point too. So somebody that's been on my radar, I'm sure yours as well as Richard Rohr. Um, in my opinion, he's like the perfect, uh, example of this where he's a progressive Christian, but he has demonstrably, in my opinion, very new age type beliefs, like universal Christ panentheism, you know, and the, uh, it's an umbrella term to describe these things. And what I see, this is what I see. And I see people post it. Even some popular pastors have quoted Richard Rohr, right? Because he says, Hey, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a Catholic Franciscan, you know, whatever he is. I believe it's a, uh, he's not a priest. I forget what he's exactly. a monk. Uh, yes. Yes. Like a friar or something. Yeah. And, uh, he's in that order, but he's talking about God. He's quoting scripture, but at the same time, out of the other side of his mouth, you know, there's this, this, this contradictory type teaching, but then it comes together where it looks like it melts together. It's just the perfect example of kind of what I'm saying, where the average Christian, even famous ones don't realize what he's saying. I've seen, uh, probably two very influential people in, in the Christian community, evangelical community post something from Richard Rohr. And I'm like, what is happening? Like how, why? (laughs) So, um, that's kind of the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. And to wrap it all up, as far as I have a very simple remedy for this, I always say it's the same thing, but uh, the bona fide deception detector, honestly, is scripture prayer and scripture. The more, you know, what that book says and you believe it you're going to know like, oh, that's not right. Like something's wrong with that. And something will, you know, your alarm bells will go off. Uh, so for, for everybody kind of wondering, okay, well, what do we do? I would say that we, we need to armor up, you know, like we don't pray enough and we don't read our Bible enough. So those are the two things I would definitely hand off as remedies for, for the situation. No, that's so good because we're always talking on the show and in our resources about the importance of reading scripture, mm-hmm. reading it every day, you know, helping your kids read it, helping to develop healthy Bible reading habits, um, because that truly is the remedy. You know, when Monique was caught up in progressivism, she was going to church. She had a few scriptures that she had that kind of informed her framework but she hadn't done a lot with like reading the whole Bible, you know, in context and, and looking at things. And so that was, you know, some steps that have borne fruit for you. Yeah. Because I mean, much like you're saying, yes, I did have these, these passages, but I didn't have an understanding in context. Mm -hmm. Um, And because it wasn't in context, it allowed me to, be able to advocate for things that are antithetical to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I, th- I think the sad thing that I see, Melissa, is I think that you and Elisa and others have been very helpful to some people to come out of the new age, to come out of progressive Christianity. But sometimes what I see, sadly, is mm-hmm. that 
then they they have this sense of lostness and they're mm-hmm. so nervous about being redeceived mm-hmm. that then they fall into um an unhealthy kind of legalism almost of i'm going to avoid anything you know that that looks like spiritual things and um it's and they could also become dependent i what i don't want to ever do in ministry and i think you would say the same is what we don't want to do is create a dependency of people on us mm-hmm to be their Holy spirit, to be Mm. their discernment. What we're trying to do in ministry is train people in scripture and and sound doctrine Mm. so that they can have the tools to do the discernment for themselves. It breaks my heart to see so many posts on social media of, you know, I don't know what to think about this because people just don't even have the basic tools to, to be able to do the work for themselves of discernment. And Mm. we never want to create an environment where we're creating dependence on us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's not what we're trying to be up to. I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Um, One of the biggest, I'm very vocal about this. I call it, we talked about this before we got on, but I call it the pendulum problem. I made a whole video about this um, because I see a fear and a a unnecessary fear of spiritual things when people leave the new age. And uh, the example I use in the video, and I'll use it now because it's it's just the best example I can think of is my dog, Max. Um, He is amazing, but he has no discernment about who's at our door. Like he, he will bark like you're a serial killer. Anybody that walks by, it could be friend or foe but he is barking, warning us, warn, 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 warn. And I'm like, bro, calm down. Like 98% of the time, it's nothing to worry about. And maybe the 2% of the time you're going to pat yourself on the back for, but that's kind of my point is that I, I see that, right? Like the, the, the watchdog type uh, uh, posture towards spiritual things where we, we need to call out everybody and everything um, and sometimes guys, that's necessary. Like I, I absolutely am, I'm, I'm, I'm on to Romans 16, man, that if you're bringing in garbage in the church, you're the one being designed, the divisive, not the person calling it out. Yeah. That's true. But I, 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 in other words, I see this extreme where it's, it's unhealthy and uh, it was JP Moreland that said, he was quoting somebody else, but he said, if uh, you want theology, I'll sometimes go to like a reformed church. But if you want prayer, you go to a, a charismatic church. And his point was, is that why can't we have both of these? Like, why can't we have like a, an environment where we're not two opposite extremes yeah. and we can meet in this, in this center where we can have both of these, where if somebody is having uh, coming out of the new age, they can still have and see and understand a healthy sense of how the spirit works. So yeah, I have a lot to say about that. I actually think that that's actually a problem where um, you see these extremes on both sides for sure. Yeah. And I I think too, that can help us in our evangelism conversations, even with, with people who have fallen into this and they need 
as Monique would say, to be snatched back into historic Christianity mm -hmm. if they're starting to mix new age ideas with Christianity or even reaching people that are in the new age and don't yet know the real Jesus. Yeah. Um, if we have an appreciation for healthy, a healthy approach to spiritual things, yes. then we're not inviting people into like this sterile worldview that's just all in your head. And it's just a bunch of logic. It is logic. We need logic. I'm not demeaning that. I'm not demeaning exactly. theology in any sort of way, but can we have a healthy um, environment and culture of testing the spirits mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> and inviting people to come into Christianity and knowing that the Holy Spirit is real mm -hmm. and that he can, he can be part of your life and amazing things can happen for you. And sometimes God can communicate to, to us through dreams and, you know, that we can sometimes hear his voice, not in a, in a way that is manipulative or just chasing after spiritual experiences and getting addicted to that, but mm -hmm. discipling people to have a healthy posture about it. I think that that could be helpful. <laughs> I also think though that a key word that you said is sometimes. Yeah. Like yeah, I think yeah. the error or like you would say the pendulum swing is that that's every day. That is yes, the, exactly. the norm or that something's wrong with you if you don't right. or that now I begin to use these things as my magic eight ball or my genie, yes. My, yes. my little lamp that I rub. And Jesus name does not equal abracadabra. <laughs> yes, yes. And people need to understand that. Like we're, no one is saying jump off the deep been into you know all of these things over here but that we can't be so um afraid or cessationistic about these things mm -hmm. that you know we we don't ever give them any hearing mm -hmm. at all yeah yeah and i would say that there's a soft and hard cessationism too so like if anybody's watching that that are cessationists and you're like that's not what i believe yeah, yeah. just kind of putting a caveat on that to yes. uh, say yeah. that yeah. Like, uh, my friends, uh, uh, oh gosh, did he, yeah, he did say this. My friend, Steven, Steven Van Kars, he's an ex new ager. Um, he went through a period where he's trying to, you know, figure out where he stands and cause he's charismatic, but he also would be like, oh, but I'm kind of a soft cessationist. And I'm like, you're going to have to define that for me. Um, but like, yeah, he believes in all the spirits, but he's like what you're saying, uh, the, the gifts of the spirit. Um, but he's not, you know, out, out there in the weeds. So I think that that's a good, good way to put it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Can you help us, um, like develop some like tools for discernment mm -hmm. if we are suspecting that there's, um, new age either coming into our church or among our friend group or things like that? Like, how can we properly discern some of that? Well, um, this might sound really simple, but I think, uh, persuasion is a lost art. Um, and I think of, uh, Paul and Acts, you know, when he's approaching the Athenian, uh, the Athenians, the Athens, um, Jeez. oh, my Greek ancestors, I'm sorry. Um, uh, but yeah, he's talking to the Greeks and he's like, let me tell you about this altar to an unknown God. Oh, and, and tactics, by the way, I'm thinking of Greg Kokel's book tactics. Um, mm. I love this book. Um, the point I'm getting at is 
it's really important sometimes to ask questions. Where are you at? What do you believe? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what does this mean? Where did you and, get this idea? Mm-hmm. Oh How my did goodness. you arrive at that conclusion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of that comes to me, that comes naturally, but not to some other people. Yeah. And I think that we kind of need to step back and kind of just observe what we're even dealing with. Cause sometimes we can cut, uh, jump to conclusions. And in that way, we're looking at a chessboard, right. And we're anticipating, okay, well, I see their pieces. I see exactly what they're doing and you can read it better. You're getting the context. That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is of course, to discern anything, you have to know what is true and what's not, exactly. which means you got it. Yeah. Yes. Like to discern anything. So you have to have a, a, um, something to compare that to. So if you're a Christian, know what you believe and why you believe it first. Like you got to do that hard work. Paul went away for three years before he even met the apostles. I'm reading through Ephesians right now, you know, which by the way, he was sick and people were blessed by his sickness. I think that's very interesting, but anyway, (laughs) I digress, but, um, he, he went away and, and did his time, right. Just kind of sitting there kind of learning things and, and taking a step back. I think that there's wisdom in studying our Bibles, knowing what Orthodox Christianity is, are you going to know all the answers? No, I still have major questions about like the first five chapters of Genesis. You know what I mean? And like, I'm in ministry and I think it's healthy to have questions, uh, when it comes to these things, but you got to know the basics. You got to know what you're discerning against. Um, and I think that's the second thing I'd say. Third thing I say is how do you, how do you do that practically? And we mentioned this before, a lot of it is Bible study. Um, and if you want good commentaries, they exist, they are out there. Blue letter Bible's great as well. Um, asking lots of questions from people smarter than you. Oh my, what seriously, like, I, I don't know what I would be or where I would be without people that I had available to me to be like, Hey, okay, I need you to teach this to me. Tell me about this, but I have questions about that. Um, to have somebody kind of mentor and disciple you, I think is very important. Um, and yeah, those are that, those are the basic things yeah. I would say for that. So evidence, if we're going to discern, maybe if this is coming into our church or into our friend group, look for evidence and and not just the evidence of your assumptions, but evidence in questions. Like as Christians, we're called to evidence. So, you know, ask the question, get some hard data and then know your own word. What do you believe? And then also discipleship. This this is what I'm hearing you say. These are the three things. Did I miss it? Yes, yes. And actually knowing what the new age is, this is important. I'm actually going to write about this because, uh, this is what happened to me. This is like my whole underbed, um, argument for how this even happened to me. How did I even get into new age teachings? It's very important to know what's poison and what's not. Mm -hmm. And I use this example and I love this example. And I think Krista, I used it last time with you in our interview of Indiana Jones. And, uh, I think it was the last crusade, um, at the end of the movie ish, he's trying to figure out, you know, which one's the Holy grail. Right. And he walks into the cave and, uh, the knights in the corner and he's like, choose wisely. Good luck. Cause if you don't, you're going to die. <laughs> and there's like dozens and dozens of goblets on the wall and all of them look beautiful and gorgeous and enticing. And you're supposed to choose which one is the true goblet. Like which one's true, which one's actually the one that will give you eternal life. That's kind of what we deal with. Right. Indiana doesn't miss a beat, goes up, finds the dirtiest, gringiest, plainest clay cup. And he's like, now that is the cup of a carpenter. And I really love that because he's like, I know, I knew that the carpenter, right? Like, do you know the cup of a carpenter? Would you be able to discern all these things? And so it's knowing what is Orthodox Christianity, but also 
knowing what you're dealing with of what, what actually puts that what's in the bucket of new age, right? Like what is that something to be concerned about? Um, so yeah, yes, all those things. And I would add that as well as just knowing what the new age even is. And that's so true. Even in our conversations about race and justice, we're always Mm -hmm. telling people you have to take time to know the primary sources. Mm -hmm. And that's what Mm -hmm. you're saying. You got to know first sources because if you're always just going off hearsay, um, and you're really trying to witness to somebody in particular and persuade them, um, you know, you, you have to know what you're talking about or you and won't it's be uncomfortable because you have to read, you have to read things that don't agree with your position. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it can be uncomfortable, but I promise you it's very effective. Yeah. But I would say you can only do that too, to a degree, once yeah. you are secure in, in yes. your understanding of historic Christianity, because you can get into some things that could lead you astray. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. And just to circle it all the way back to the beginning of the conversation is, you know, this is also the importance of elders in our local church. Mm-hmm. You know, we asked the question at the beginning, like who's guarding, who's guarding the flock, who's yep, guarding the, the door. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, um, we're always talking about biblical criteria for leadership. And, yeah. and one of those biblical criteria for elders is being able to teach sound doctrine and correct errant doctrine. Mm. And that those are the people that are really supposed to be guarding the sheep and mm. keeping stuff like this from coming into our small groups and other places. And we have um, a team of people of resources that we as a lay person can go talk to mm-hmm. and, you know, have some, some guardrails. So all of those things are, I think, part of the, the solution and the way forward. Yeah. Thank you, Melissa, so much yes, for doing this with you. us. This was fun. Yeah, great. Anytime I can come on and help out or yeah, I'd like to have you guys on my channel at some point. If we can do that, that'd be great. Absolutely. Yes, yes. We will be up for it. So, so great to have you on again. And you're just an amazing resource. Everyone go check out Melissa's channel uh, on YouTube. She does awesome videos. She does parodies. Yes. Um, very, very uh, educational. So Go check her out. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Well, that was really great. I learned a ton. She gave me a lot to think about. What are some takeaways you're going to think about? Gosh, you know, I am, I've been challenged, I think, in some of the, and this, I know some people are going to come for me if I say this, but in some of the gospel music that I listen to. Oh. You know, like the, how yeah, so? Because so, like for some of the things that she said, I can like just out and out like name a song, name an artist, and be like, yeah, that song says like almost those exact words that she just said. Uh-huh. And so, and the Lord's, I feel like been dealing with my heart about the things that I listen to, even the Christian things that I listen to. Um, and like, is it true? You know, is does it, it is it biblical? Does it reflect the truth of the scripture? And so I think um, in some of the things that she said, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I know, like that song I mentioned, um, like he did it just for me, you know, and the, I can, I can see where people are like, yes, he did it for just like, it was, it was for you. He was, he was thinking about you or he was thinking about humanity and, you know, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of like, Oh, y'all ruined that for me right there. Okay. Um, <laughs> Some of the kind of more name it, name it, claim it, or that I guess when I think about like, 
miracles manifesting and miracle miracles manifesting or even just the the this idea this just for me theology okay like it was that's kind of what is struck in my heart like right now um and like i said i know some of my friends would challenge me on that and be like no but it was just for you like he was on the cross and your face was was in his mind like he was thinking about you too and like i don't i don't have a bible verse for that though like when we when we're told to pray we're told to pray our father Mm -hmm. um and so, yes, like, I think that's kind of what stick, stuck to me, especially when she was talking about the um, the piece of, I don't know if it was the new age or new thought, but where it's just about you. Mm. It's about you. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, that'll be a conversation for you and the Lord well, to, to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Just about, you know, yeah. a lot of prayer on, you know, what what do you, you know, take? What do you leave? What um and what are the scriptures saying in relation to um you know our relationship with with the lord with the holy spirit and things like that so yeah that's good i i was yeah i think um just getting a better handle on some new age beliefs Mm -hmm. and drawing some of those connections to things that we say in life in the church but also the importance of you know, really having a heart for people who are attracted to the new age mm-hmm. and trying to understand why are they attracted to it? Yeah. Because in my analytical way of being, sometimes I can be very impatient with people who are more supernaturally inclined or more experiential oriented. And I just want to constantly correct them, mm-hmm. you know, but um, understanding like, God loves them, has a heart for them, and might have even made them in a certain way that is sensitive to mm-hmm. the spirit realm. So how can I reach those people too? Yeah. Gave me some things to think about. So, well, I think that's all for this week. That's we will it. be back live uh, week after next. Next week, we're going to be dark because we're going to be speaking in Colorado. So we'll see you in two weeks. We'll be back live and we will look forward to catching up with the family have a good one god bless thanks for listening to all the things be sure to subscribe to our website at all and find us on youtube facebook instagram or wherever you stream your podcast be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.